If Satan's number one strategy to keep us away from God is to have us believe that we must do to be like God, then what is God's way and plan for us? That's coming up next on Daily in Christ. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. So glad to have you with us. This is part four of a series that's titled Exposing Satan's Master Scheme to Be Like God Without God. And today we're going to be focusing on the ultimate God's brilliant plan in the new creation, not just for you, but the new you. And that new you, if you're born again in the Lord Jesus Christ, is one who is in union, who is one with Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. It speaks of the riches of the glory of that mystery. And the second reality of our union or oneness with Christ is you, believer, in Christ. Well, first of all, I want to do a quick review of the first three episodes because each of those episodes built upon one another. And I want to urge you, if you haven't heard any of those uh, episodes, to be sure to download them. You can get them for free and listen and uh, allow that lesson to come in and build up what needs to be shared. In the first episode of this series, we examine the first origin of the great lie, do to be like God. And we did that by examining scripturally the fall of Lucifer, the great archangel who fell and became Satan. In Isaiah 14, 14, we, this is a passage that speaks about Lucifer's fall and his attitude behind that fall. And the epicenter of that uh, ungodly, sinful thinking is in verse 4, Isaiah 14, 14, where he says, I will make myself like the Most High. Now, remember, please, that Satan didn't say that he would make himself the Most High. He simply said he wanted to make himself like the Most High. There is nothing wrong with being like God. God is good. It's good to be good. God is faithful. God is true. God is loving. God is patient. God is kind. That's God-likeness. But the problem with Satan was the idea, I will make myself like the most high God. That is catastrophically wrong. And then over in Ezekiel 28, we found that Lucifer's wisdom was corrupted by his glory. God made him in this incredible creature. And yet he lost sight of the fact that he was a creature. And he had splendor, he had glory, precisely because God the Creator made him that way. He was corrupted by his splendor. His wisdom was corrupted. That's what we find out in Ezekiel 28. He lost sight of that important fact of God is the source of all glory. God is indeed his creator. In the second episode, we looked at this lie of do to be like God at the fall that occurred in the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve enjoyed God and his amazing goodness in a wonderful paradise called pleasure. That's what Eden means in Hebrew. They had no sin. They had no concept of sin or history of sin. 
Then Satan comes in as a serpent. And when he came in, sin came into the picture. And we saw how Satan's first attack was not on them, but on God's reputation, namely God's grace, his goodness, and his truthfulness. And even though Adam and Eve were already made in the image and likeness of God, because God created them that way, Genesis 1.26, Satan convinced them that they would be like God if, that's the problem, if is not in there, since was their real reality. God had made them in his likeness and image, and yet Satan had connived them into believing that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they could be like God. In other words, you can be like God because of what you do. And that's the do to be like God lie. And it is a trap. It is a rabbit hole. It is a vortex. It is something that sucks and pulls us away from God, drawing our attention to self instead of God, where we're focused on ourselves and our performance, good and bad, instead of focused on God and his finished performance. It is a deadly tactic that Satan uses to distract us from God, back to ourselves and our doing to be like God. In the last episode, episode three, we examined how Jesus defeated Satan's lies and temptation. Unlike our first parents, Jesus, known also as the last Adam, Romans chapter five, um, this is what he did in conquering Satan's lies and temptation. Satan took a similar tack to Jesus as he did with Adam and Eve. It's this idea of do to make yourself like God. And that was in the form of, if you are the son of God, do this or do that. Jesus was tempted by way of his humanity. And he was especially susceptible because his human body was very hungry after 40 days of fasting. In one way or another, Satan was tempting Jesus, the son of man, as the son of man, according to his humanity, with do this and you will be like God. Now, here's something very striking about Jesus' successful counter to Satan's strategy and his temptations. And it is the complete opposite of Satan's do to be like God. I want you to turn to John chapter 5, John chapter 5. And Jesus says something completely remarkable, unbelievable in John chapter 5. So let's go back to there, John chapter 5, in verse 19, John 5 verse 19. And Jesus says this, most assuredly, I say to you, of course, whenever the Lord would say most assuredly, it's like, listen up. This is a very important truth. Pay attention. Most assuredly, I say to you, the son, speaking of himself, can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for what he does, the Son also does in like manner. Now, did you notice what Jesus says there? He says this, the Son can do nothing of himself. That 
is revolutionary. Let me say it again. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself or out from himself. Now, notice that Jesus said the son can do nothing of himself as opposed to won't do anything of himself. There's a big difference between can and won't. Won't refers to someone who just will not do it. They choose not to do something as opposed to when we say we can or cannot do something that refers to one's ability or inability. Jesus said the son can do nothing of himself. In other words, it is impossible for Jesus to do anything of himself. Let me say that again. It is impossible for Jesus to do anything of himself. It is all of the Father. And this has a direct bearing to us. Jesus in John 15, 5 says this, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then in John six sixty three, it says this, The flesh profits nothing. And yet, watch this over in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says this, for in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now think about that for a moment. It's true, isn't it? And every Bible-believing Christian would say, amen, brother Mark, that is true, that the fullness of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit dwells bodily in Christ. That's true. Now listen to verse 10, Colossians 2.10, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now, the Greek word behind the word complete is pleuro, and it means full and overflowing. There's nothing more that you need. Your completeness in Christ is directly related to the fact that in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then verse 10, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And this leads us to the great secret of Jesus, the son of man. And again, I'm speaking to Christ according to his humanity. All that Jesus is and all that he does is because of his union, his oneness with his father, being one with his father. Let me say that again. This is the great secret of Jesus, the son of man. All that Jesus is and all he does is because of his union with his father, being one with his father. And that leads us to the great secret of the Christian life. And that is our, all that we are and all that we do is because of our union with Christ, our oneness with him. And again, I point to Colossians chapter one, verse 27, that says that um, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you see the parallel there? That 
all that Jesus is and all that he does is because of his union with his father, being one with his father. In like manner, all that we do are and all that we do is because of our union with Christ, our oneness with him. And so, There's our review. We had to to make sure we went over that and built the points up one by one. Let's pray right now. And again, ask God to grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Father, thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you are knowable. You're knowable because you've revealed yourself, Lord. We recognize, Father, that you are infinite. And by definition, Something that is not infinite cannot begin to grasp something that is infinite. And Lord, the reason why we can know you, the reason why we can grasp you is because you have revealed yourself. You have brought revelation. And so, Father, I pray that once again, you would grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full, higher, better, greater knowledge, relational knowledge with you. And Father, I thank you that in that context, the eyes of our understanding, our heart is opened, that we may know the full dimensions of all that you have for us as the children of God. Father, I recognize that my human understanding, my flesh understanding is not necessary. But Lord, uh, understanding that's brought by the Holy Spirit is that which we need and that for which we ask, Lord. And God, I thank you that it is your desire to turn the light of revealing, of revelation on that we may know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn to John chapter 17, John chapter 17, and we're going to begin reading in verse 20. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Setting this up a little bit, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. This is on the night before he was crucified, the night he was betrayed. And he spends several chapters, 13, 14, 15, and 16, laying out where things are going to go forward with the lives of his disciples. And he's spoken awful lot about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 15, he talks about the fact that he is the vine. They are the branches. They are one together. And then in John chapter 17, Jesus stops talking to them and he starts talking to God, his father in prayer. And so we pick it up in verse 20. Jesus is praying and he says this, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. 
Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to your, uh, declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. That's in John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. Now, do you notice how many times the word one comes up and how that's tied into the idea there's oneness between Jesus and the Father because the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father. And in like fashion, uh, in this prayer, the Lord mentions the fact of a oneness that's happening with us, with him and with each other by virtue of the fact that the believer is in Christ and Christ is in the believer. It's very important for us to understand that the prayer that Jesus has here in John chapter 17 was a prayer that was done before the cross and before the resurrection. And and we today live after the cross and after the resurrection and after the ascension and after the Holy Spirit coming down and coming in to the lives of the believers. You see, we are already in Christ. We are already in union with Christ. That's Romans chapter 6 verses 1 to 14. We already are one with Christ, who is one with our Father and one with the Spirit. We need to understand that these the union reality of the believer is not something we have to somehow do to, to achieve. And again, right there, there's that lie, you know, do to, to get something from God. No, we believe what we already have, who we already have, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that we already are one with Christ and one with all those who are in Christ. You know, when 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 we're wanting to see better peaceable relationships between uh, believers, the most important thing is to understand that we are one. Why? Because we are one with Christ. How are we one with Christ? We are in him and he is in us. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says how we're in Christ. It says, of God are you in Christ. Christ. And the reason for that is so that God's glory is maximized, not our glory. We have this oneness right now with the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who've been born again, taken by the death at the cross of Jesus out of failing, sinning, condemned first Adam, and born again into a new Adam, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that information is in Romans chapter 5. Jesus is the union in his 
um, being of God and man. Jesus is fully God and fully man. So that is the union of God and man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the new creation, the, the new creature, remember what it says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That new creatureness, that new creation that we are is the union of two. It's the union of Jesus Christ, who is both divine and human, and the union of me. So Jesus Christ and me are in union, bonded together. That's the new creation reality. Praise God. And that union is all based on Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27, and me in Christ. And that idea of the believer in Christ is all over the epistles in the New Testament of the Bible. 150 some verses that testify of the reality of the believer in Christ. And the sum of this union is that union is me and Christ, okay? The sum of that union of the two of us is infinitely greater than merely me. Why? Well, it's as great as Jesus himself. And how great is Jesus? He is infinitely great. See, this is powerful and important to understand this idea of union with Christ. That is the now reality of the believer, not because you've done something, you've read your Bible enough, you've prayed, you've gone to church, you've witnessed, you've whatever, you. those are all dues. No, it's because of the done of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of God are you in Christ. And the brilliance of God in this new creation that we are in as new creatures in Christ is the strength of this new life is not inherent in us. The strength and the power of this life is Christ in union with us and we in union with him. Think about this believer. The Lord Jesus Christ is in you. That's amazing. We're going to continue on and and get a better understanding of this. You know, the Bible speaks of us believers as a vessel which contains Christ. We are a vessel which contains Christ. Now, I have here a uh, cup of tea. I like to have this whenever I'm doing this kind of thing. And I have a cup, a vessel, which contains tea. Now, am I drinking the cup? No, I'm drinking the tea, right? But the cup is bearing the tea. The cup is a vessel which contains the tea. If I didn't have this vessel, this container, I couldn't drink the tea. It would be very difficult. We are called, biblically, earthen vessels. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, which says this. 
But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. I love that verse. The idea of an earthen vessel really meant just a, um, a common everyday container, nothing fancy, not a gold container, not a crystal container, just a common everyday container. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And there's more after that verse that explains that. We don't have time to get into that. But I want you to note this. We contain the treasure who is Christ. And the second part of 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And so one of the pictures of us containing Christ is the idea of a vessel. Another picture in the Bible of this uh, containing Christ, if you will, is in John chapter 15, where the Lord Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. We are the branches of the vine. Now, let me ask you a question. The vine properly is the vine with its branches. We are connected with Christ, uh, just as the branches of the vine are in the vine. And so we can see in that picture, that organic picture, that the life that uh, the branches need in order to bear fruit, and by the way, the branches function as the fruit-bearing portion of the vine. That branch lives not of itself, but as a part of the vine. And so the life of the vine flows to the branches. And so we are known as branches of the vine. And that vine is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5, we are told that we as born-again believers are in the last Adam, who is Christ. We are, because we are in the last Adam, you know, in, in everybody was born in this world in first Adam, who sinned, who failed, who had death, and a death and condemnation came through the whole human race. That's in Romans chapter 5. Now, because we are in the last Adam, Christ, we, have, we are alive because of him. We're not dead in trespasses and sins, which came when we were born of first Adam, we are justified. That's what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 16. We have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And because of that, we reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so that's a powerful picture of containing. We're not in the line, the lineage anymore of failing, sinning humanity, whose father is Adam. We are in a new race altogether, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that in all of the earth, there are only two races of human beings, only two? The first race is those who are in Adam, first Adam, 
And the second are those who are in last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are in first Adam are caught up in all that Satan swept into the human race of sin, rebellion, death, condemnation. Those of us who are in the Lord Jesus Christ now are in this place of abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And we reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And that's in Romans 5, 17. I love that verse. Going on with these pictures of how the believer contains Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, we are told that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what a temple is? It's a dwelling place of God. What a, what a reality and truth of dignity the believer, our body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Read that for yourself in 1 Corinthians 6.19. The Bible also speaks of us as slaves of righteousness. This is Romans chapter 6, verses 16 to 23. And uh, it speaks of those who are slaves to sin and unrighteousness, those who are in failing first Adam, in Satan, if you will, and and those who are in Christ, who are in righteousness, and we are slaves of righteousness. One in Christ is and forever will be a slave of righteousness. That's our now reality as a believer, as one in Christ. Listen to this, Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. There's two powerful verses that really speak of the now and forever reality of the believer, one in Christ. How many of you believers think you're a slave to sin? Well, if you think you're a slave to sin, you are deceived. You're duped by Satan because the word says you are not a slave of sin anymore. You say, but Mark, I'm failing here and failing there. That's why you're failing because you are believing the devil's lie that you're still in first Adam. You're still a slave of sin. You're not a slave of righteousness. I've got good news from you straight from the word of God. Romans chapter 6, 17 and 18. You have been set free from sin and you are a slave of righteousness. Believer, start seeing the truth in the word of God Confess that aloud, not to become this, but there's something when we speak it aloud that it settles in deep in our understanding and we begin to walk in victory. I must move on. Other pictures of containing Christ. We are members of the body of Christ. Christ is the head. That's in Ephesians and also in Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. We are parts of his body. Now think of your own body, right? How functional would a body be if the head was cut off? Not at all. And so, and yet the the body functions, the head functions with the parts of the body, correct? 
And so this shows again this uh, picture that we are in oneness with the Lord Jesus Christ. We contain him. We're members of his body. He is the head. Other pictures. Scripture says that we are as the wife. Now remember what it says over in Genesis that the husband and wife um, become one. They're married together. They are one. And so there is this picture. We see this in Romans chapter 7, verse 4, uh, that Christ is our husband and we are in oneness with him. Here's what this is all about. The Father is in Christ, John seventeen twenty three, And then we see in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, that the fullness of the deity dwells bodily in Christ. All of the Father, all of the Son, and all of the Holy Spirit dwells bodily in Christ. And it says that in um, Colossians 1, 27, that Christ is in us. Because the Spirit is in us. Do you see this? This is so powerful. This is so important. We are in Christ because God did it. And Christ is in us because God did it. You might be saying, well, Mark, I don't know. It doesn't seem to be working really well in my life. Remember what the Bible says, that the just shall live by faith? In four key places, Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38, it says, the just shall live by faith. I have a series that's a sub-series within my larger teaching series in the book of Hebrews called that, the just shall live by faith. You're welcome to download those messages and get a whole lot more scripture about that powerful reality, the just shall live by faith. And when we are using faith language, it's the language of dependence. It is the language of depending not on self, but depending upon another. And that other is Jesus himself, not way out there, you know, over the golden yonder, (laughs) Um, but rather Christ inside of us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Well, we're out of time for today, and I'm going to halt. Uh, I didn't know whether this particular part of what I was teaching would uh, take one or two episodes. It's going to turn into two episodes. And so uh, next time on Daily in Christ, we're going to be talking about answering this question. Well, okay, If I am one with Christ, and okay, the word says this, he's in me and I am in him. The fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Christ and I am complete in him. Then why isn't this working in my Christian life? And we're going to be talking about living by the spirit versus living by the flesh particularly in Romans chapter 8. We're going to be talking about the fact that God is not interested at all in you becoming. Why? Because you are. Because Christ is. Our being is not out from ourselves. It is a result of his being in us. And this is the reality of the new you, the new me as new creations in Christ. A humble vessel honored to carry and manifest the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you 
for the glory of this. The glory of this closeness and this oneness that we have with you. Not because we were so good and earned it, but because you by your grace are that good and give it. Father, again, we don't rely upon our human um, understanding, our human brains or human perception to get this. Because, Lord, I know that the scope of this is as big as you are. But, Lord, you are able, you are able to to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine according to your great power that works in us. And so, Father, just continue to turn the light on of understanding in my own life and in the life of every single person that is listening to this message. And Father, we thank you that your brilliant plan is you are glorified most by the grace you give. And grace is not an it. Grace is Jesus himself, Christ in us, the hope of glory. I thank you for that, Lord. And and Lord, this frees us up to be able to know you, to be able to enjoy you, and to be able to make you known to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The other day I was talking with a friend of mine who is familiar with the Daily in Christ podcast. He listens to it all the time. And uh, he was surprised to find out that there is a website called Daily in Christ. And I said, yep, it's there. It's at dailyinchrist.org. And I realize that many are getting uh, the podcast through... um, the iTunes store, the Apple iTunes store. And so you went directly to the store and searched for it, found it and downloaded it. Um, Perhaps you might have found out about the RSS link somewhere uh, online and uh, you're connected with a podcast and not connected with the website. Well, our website is chock full of uh, resources that we have for you. These are articles a lot. Uh, Today we're recording episode number 67 of the Daily in Christ podcast. It's been going on for a while now. You can actually uh, listen and download each and every one of those episodes free of charge. Check it out today at dailyinchrist.org. And please, if you're blessed, would you tell it to a few close friends? Let them know that they can find out about the more abundant life in Christ, stopping by dailyinchrist.org. Bless you, my friend. Thank you so much for doing that. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.